This is Ethan Vincent, and you're listening to Bits and Bricks. A lot goes into a podcast. There's research, pre-interviews, outlines, writing, interviews again, audio production, uh, just a whole list of things that we do to make it great. And typically, all of this starts with a conversation. And so this exchange that you're going to hear right now is between our producers, Brian Crescenti and Dave Tack. My childhood, I think I've told you this before, it was basically Lego brick-free. It's sad. I know, but I made sure when I had my son, I didn't have him. When we had my son, not you and I, my wife and I. That's, yeah, <laughs> thank you for clarifying. Um, that he was basically swimming in Lego bricks. Uh, that sounds painful. It probably was. We never forced him to, though. <laughs> and so at some point, as I think all children, most children, some children do, Tristan lost sort of interest yeah. in these things, and I was tasked with deciding what to do with a lot of Lego bricks. It's, uh, you put them in giant, like, plastic containers, right? Yeah. Yeah, it started that way. But eventually, I got kind of lazy, and I just started dumping them into <laughs> this enormous trash bag. This is like anti-Santa Brian, just yes. trudging around the house <laughs> with the trash bag. It's got to be a black trash bag over your shoulder. Give me that. Just picking up Lego bricks and stuffing them away. <laughs> so that's right. That's, a, I think, an apt description. That's really actually me every day. Mm-hmm. It's not difficult to picture. But it's funny because I'd done this. I'd packed it away in our toy closet. And I realized later on that this approach was a terrible, a terrible approach because I at some point was like, I have a bunch of Lego bricks. I'm going to go build something on my own. And so I go through and I have to sort through a huge trash bag of gallons of Lego bricks trying to find pieces. I like that we're measuring the Lego bricks in gallons. (laughs) There are so many of them. But you know, I noticed something when I was doing this. Have you ever tried to separate... Two flat elements that have been sitting in a trash bag <laughs> under the weight of gallons of Lego bricks for decades? Yes, everything uh, except the trash bag, and mine was the plastic <laughs> containers, for sure. Uh, yeah, they don't really come apart. <laughs> I mean, they do, Mm-mm. but it's it's kind of hard. Well, yeah, that's why they have special tools for that. Yeah, kitchen knives, teeth. Oh no, Brian, <laughs> the orange tool. But actually, that brings up a point that I've thought about a bunch, which is, why do these bricks stick together? Yeah, it's like the internet. It's a series of tubes. Well, I mean, no. But also, (laughs) I get that it has something to do with, you know, the nubs on the top. Yes. And the tubes underneath. But I have no idea why they stick together so well. Or uh, why do they come apart when they stick together so well? So... In the spirit of transparency, and because this is one of our experiments, I just wanted to kind of take a moment and talk you through the making of this episode. The truth is, we thought the hunt for the answer to Dave's question was going to be a journey, this discovery. But really, there's a pretty simple scientific explanation for why the Lego bricks stick together. Clutch power, right? And the more we examined that original question, though, the more we realized that the simple answer didn't really tell the whole story or even offer the most important answer, because it turns out that the best answers to Dave's question actually touch on the history of the Lego group, the brick's ability to empower creativity, the very core of the now 90-year-old toy maker, and how the ability for bricks to clutch one another prevented a quite fragile company at the time from falling apart. 
So in this episode, we're gonna take you on that journey down the same paths we took in our search for the answers. So we'll begin with what turned out to be the simplest answer, the patent, the patent of the Lego brick. And to find out how the company came up with this particular approach to connecting plastic bricks, we turned to the Lego Idea House, which, as many of you know, is the Lego Group's secretive private museum of all things Lego bricks and history, and is home to some very helpful people who have heard this particular question many, many times in one form or another. It's going to be tricky for you guys to pronounce, but my name is, in Danish, you say Christian Reimer Hauke, and I'm a corporate historian at the Lego Group. Well, I actually think I hear it quite often, but I think it's always sort of disguised in other questions, <laughs> if that makes sense. And I think looking at the history, it comes back to the whole idea of the Lego system in play. So that is the key thing for, for me as a, a Lego historian when being asked a question like that. It's worth taking a moment to set the stage here. Christian is speaking to us from Billund, Denmark, obviously home of the Lego Brick, the headquarters. More specifically, though, he's sitting at the desk of the company's founder, Ola Kirk Christiansen, in a building that was one time both a factory and a family home. And to this interview, Christian actually brought the original patent from the very first Lego Brick that stuck together. Um, it's actually surprisingly many pages. Let's just take a look at where I have... Oh, it's in different sections. So I am looking, for example, let's just have a look here. I'm at page 14 now, 15. And then, oh, we come to a new a new part of the patent, and then we start all over again. A rough estimate here is 25, maybe 30 pages, something in the lines of that. Loads of text and a few uh, a few drawings as well. Christian goes on to tell us that on January 23rd, 1958, there's this meeting. It's between the son of the founder of the Lego Group, Gottfried Christiansen, and one of Gottfried's brothers, and the head of the sales of the Lego Group in Germany, a man named Axel Thompson. And this whole meeting kind of took place because it turns out that in the late 50s, the children who played with the Lego bricks had a problem. It was basically the opposite problem that Dave and Brian talked about at the very beginning of the podcast. The bricks didn't stick to one another. We refer to them as stackable bricks because that was what you did with the bricks before the Lego brick we know today because they were hollow inside. The brick is what sets the limitations of what you can do because if you start to not overlap with that much, it falls off, you know, it doesn't stick together. Gottfried saw this, of course, as a big problem, one big enough to warrant that 1958 meeting between those three individuals. They were starting to have a little brainstorm. What can we do? How can we make these bricks stick better together? How can we create this stability that the children are asking for? And then they started to brainstorm at some point, Gottfried, he picks up a piece of paper. So he starts to draw solutions, draw plastic bricks with the knobs on top. And then he starts to draw different solutions of what can we put in the bottom of these plastic bricks. He draws some X's. And then, of course, he also draws, for example, these 
tubes, these circles underneath the plastic brick. And after coming up with that solution, they sort of know, okay, we are on to something here. This might help us get the stability we need because what we need is something at the bottom of the brick that can grab around these knobs on top of the brick because that way we can create the stability we don't have today. So after coming up with this solution, it all goes very, very quickly. Five days after that meeting, we take out the patent for the Lego brick we know today. And the patent is for all of them. All of the different solutions that they came up with that day, because they came up with more solutions that more or less creates the same kind of clutch power. I love those two words, clutch power. It defines what this is all about, but what does it mean? Like, how does it work? And what's the science behind how these plastic bricks grab onto each other? So we decided to reach out to someone who could really explain the engineering behind how that patented clutch power worked, a university professor. I am Becky Simmons, and I'm an associate professor of the practice in mechanical engineering and material science at Duke University. And Becky was, of course, able to explain to us the science behind the clutch power of the Lego brick. Lego bricks stick together because the pegs that are on the top of the brick are a little bit bigger than the area they fit into on their joining brick. This causes the pegs on the top to be squeezed a little and that area that they fit into to stretch a little bit. And it's really this squeeze and stretch plus friction that holds the bricks together. And in the engineering world, we call this an interference fit. And the really amazing thing about Lego bricks is that interference fits are complicated. They require really great precision in measurements and manufacturing. And this is the unique thing, right, is that Lego has found this perfect fit where the Lego bricks that I'm using or my daughters are using stick together securely enough that they don't fall apart when we're putting them together, we're moving them about, we're interacting one piece with another, but they don't fit so tightly together that they're permanently locked together. The science of the interference fit has been around for a long time, and it's used in all kinds of products. I've been drinking a lot of tea in the disposable cups or recyclable cups. And if you look at one of those cups, the lid would be the interference, right? Oh, and another one would be pens. If you have a pen with a cap on it, you have to apply that force, get the cap on, it stays on, and then you apply the force, pull the cap off. And you can even almost see that, right? When you go to put the top on the bottom of your Tupperware piece, you can almost see the plastic, right? The top almost is stretching to get around the lip on the base of the Tupperware. If you grew up around the Tupperware brand, you know if one of the lids was warped or lost its former shape, forcing those old Tupperware bowls and lids together was really, really hard. And so that was one of the questions we had as well, which was, why doesn't that ever seem to happen with Lego bricks? They're all different types of plastics. So they've obviously picked a plastic that's going to be durable, but also it lets us, will deform a little bit, right? So again, that peg can 
compress a little bit, that hole or the area it fits into can stretch versus thinking about a metal brick, which would be a lot harder. So the Lego company, in addition to thinking about the sizing and getting the measurements right for the pegs in the area, they also have to pick this material. And I think it's a super clever design. I love that the Lego company keeps pushing the boundaries of what you can do with the bricks. And I think that's really cool as far as innovation. It's that interference fit, right? The ability for Lego bricks to stick to one another that not only empowers fans, but it's really fundamental to the success of the Lego group. From all these sets, you know, imagined by the company's designers to these amazing creations by Lego brick artists called Mocks, Mock stands for my own creations, they all show us clutch power in action. And so at this point, we're still on our journey, right? Our first leg explained the patent, the second was about the engineering, and now we arrive at our next logical step. Someone who actually puts both to an amazing use, a Lego brick artist. My name is Alice Finch. I am a builder and designer, and I've been involved in the Lego hobby and the Lego company as I build models for Lego books. Alice is definitely underselling herself a bit here. She's a renowned Lego brick builder, best known for her massive models, all crafted with this incredible detail. And she's been featured on CNN, NPR, the Seattle Times, the Huffington Post, and Wired. And this all started happening after she posted a picture online of her first big project, a 400,000 brick take on the Hogwarts castle. It started about a decade ago when I was building with my older child, Thorin, and he was very much involved, as most kids are, in building. And I was serving as the typical parent, buying sets, cleaning up the mess after he has built and turned sets into mocks. And I realized that I really wanted to build with him. And it wasn't just sort of a supervisory role. I wanted to be a collaborator And so it was while building with him that I realized that I wanted to build my own things. And Hogwarts was really the very first model that I built on my own as an adult. And that started out as a single idea of building the Great Hall, because that's pretty fundamental to the Harry Potter stories and the castle itself. And since I've been to a lot of the places where they filmed it and the sets, I wanted to make it more accurate, more realistic, and more playable. I didn't really know that it was going to end up as big as it did when I started, but it's now 400,000 bricks big, which is quite a bit bigger than any Lego set they've ever made. (laughs) Every Lego brick builder and fan has their own style to build, you know. Alice refers to the massive structures she creates as architectural models. And she explained to us this distinction and the meaning behind it. When the Lego company builds a set, such as the hospital wing of Hogwarts, which is now a production set, in the first wave, that would have been a wall with a couple windows and maybe a long wall and a short wall of that room. And then the other two sides would be open which is really not a full room, and it wouldn't have either the full exterior or the full interior. And the exterior probably wouldn't be 
detailed enough to actually look like a real Gothic building. And so when I build an architectural model, such as the hospital wing, I want it to have layers of carved molding around the windows. Or is it a Gothic pointed window or Romanesque rounded topped window? And if there are 17 windows, then I want my model to have 17 windows. That kind of detailed replication of the original that I'm basing it on. And Lego can't really do that for all of the parameters that they set for when they design a model. But as a passion project builder, I can make it as close as I possibly can based on the types of bricks that are available in the moment. If you look at the details of Alice's build, the scale of these mammoth creations, and imagine just the time and the tenacity and accuracy it takes to create them, it's really amazing. And there are really just a few people like Alice who are able to understand clutch power of a Lego brick as a creator like she does, and the ability that the Lego brick has to stick together and just how vital that part is. Well, it's actually really critical to being able to build anything on a large scale. And clutch power, I can think of a couple examples of things that wouldn't really be possible without that stickiness. Um, One is a build in Hogwarts in particular, but just in general, a lot of round things. So when you take generally square objects like a brick and you want to build a round tower, you have to sort of bend the original intention of the brick. And by that I mean you can make a round tower, let's say using a one by three brick. And when you offset those and you only connect the end studs, you end up with a middle space. And you can flex that so eventually it can create a round shape, which is how some of the bigger towers in Hogwarts are done. You can also take a one by two brick or a plate and make a big, long, let's say a meter long wall of staggered bricks. And eventually you can take that straight row and you can bend it so that it is a circle. That wouldn't really be possible without clutch power because those bricks would just pop off once you put it under tension. Okay, so that's it, right? We've answered the original question. We found the patent, we learned about the science behind clutch power, and we heard from someone who uses that interference fit to craft their own amazing creations. But here's the thing. It turns out that there's a whole other layer to this question, another element that reveals clutch power. It's more than a patent. It's more than a bit of applied science. It's essentially the heart of the Lego group. And we kind of discovered that when we were talking to Christian about the patent. What we realized was that the true beginning of the story doesn't start with that document, but actually decades earlier. So we're going to return to Christian for a history lesson. And it turns out the best and actually most important answer to our original question, why do Lego bricks stick? The beginning of this company is we are founded by a master carpenter from Billund, Denmark, where we still have our headquarters today. And he starts out as an ordinary carpenter. Later on, due to various circumstances, he's sort of forced to look into new products, 
one of the products he starts to pick up, and that, of course, happens in the birth year of the Lego Group, 1932, is he starts to produce, among other things, wooden toys. And then, for quite a few years, he's producing wooden toys for the Danish market. Later on, we cannot find enough high-quality wood for our wooden toy production, so we start to supplement with a new material, plastic. And when I say new, it's new to the company, it's new to all. Plastic as a material was a material you knew at the time. We just, as a company, didn't have any sort of knowledge about that material yet. But we start to look into plastic as a supplement for wooden toys. And then after introducing plastic as a material, we slowly start to introduce various plastic toys. One of the stories that Christian told us is that in 1949, Ole receives a visit from a traveling salesperson who happens to have with him a collection of plastic bricks that he picked up somewhere in Great Britain. He decided to show them to Ole because he thought he might find them interesting. And Ole is just so taken with this idea that he decides the company should make their own building bricks and comes up with the automatic binding bricks. But they weren't the Lego bricks we know today. Well, looking from the top, you know, looking at knobs, just as you would today with a Lego brick, it has the same size. So you would actually be able to take one of those very old automatic binding bricks. And if you had a new Lego brick, you could actually put it on top of the new Lego brick if you wanted to. But the big difference is if you flip it, you would be looking at something basically just empty space. It was hollow underneath. Whenever you recount history, you have these storytelling elements, these memorable moments that help transport an idea of something that happened back then. And if you type the words Lego history in the search field in YouTube, well, the first hit you'll get is this animated short called The Lego Story. And there's this moment when this young boy, it's Keld, who's the grandson of Ole, he tries to show his dad an impressive build. And, well, just, just listen. Look what I just built! That is really nice, Kel. Even though Lego was meant for only building houses, there was still a lot of opportunity. There was just one problem. Hmm. I can't lift it up. It, it keeps falling apart. That made Gottfried wonder. He wanted to find a way to make the Lego bricks stick together. But that was easier said than done. It's not the way it happened. It's just sort of a funny scene in this animated movie we made, actually in connection with the 80-year anniversary of the Lego group, where we told a part of the early history, and some of the scenes we put in there was just to have something funny to look at. But it illustrated very well that scene, and it is the third-generation owner in that scene, Kjell Kier Christiansen, the son of... Gottfell. It is Kel wanting to show his father something he has uh, built, and then he moves it too quickly and it falls apart. And that was to illustrate that lack of stability because of these hollow plastic bricks. The real reason the company started examining the lack of stability 
is a lot more complicated. And when Ola's son Gottfried started getting involved in the company, he starts looking for a way to bring together all the different toys that the Lego group is making at the time, something he can build a system of play around. And at the time in the company, it has more than 200 different products. But he notices that the automatic binding bricks are becoming very popular in the 50s. Lego is here. Hey, kids, look. A whole new world to build. So basically what happens is he looks through his entire product portfolio in the search of something that he can create a system in play out of. Build hotels, animals, people, boats, skyscrapers, and more. So kids, get your Lego set now at department and toy stores everywhere. Lego. The one product he feels has the best potential of that is the hollow, staggable plastic brick. So he tries to see if, you know, can we make some kind of ecosystem out of these bricks to make sure that all bricks we do in the future, they should be able to fit with the ones we have today, no matter when they are produced, where they are produced. So those ideas start to sort of peep out from the company. But after introducing this new idea, it gets more and more sort of apparent that we need stability. We can't make this system that we want to make happen. We can't do it without getting more stability. And that's also what we hear, and this is the crucial part. So this is a moment of revelation both for the company and for us and our journey. Gottfried, he unearths these concerns from Axel while working to create this system in play and almost stumbles into the future of the company. I mean, literally within days, the blueprint that seems so obvious to us now is set in stone or molded, right, in plastic, complete with studs and tubes. And it turns out that clutch doesn't just hold toys together. It holds the entire company and its future. The fact that it only takes us five days from idea to patent, that is the best way to illustrate that we know this is a big deal, this is important, this is our future. And because of this, two years later, so the Lego Brig is introduced in 1958, in 1960, the company, and especially Gottfried Kirk Christiansen, the second generation owner, takes the very big decision to stop all of the other toys we are making. So that's when we say goodbye to how the company started, wooden toys, but we also stop the production of all of the other plastic toys that we uh, had been making. So from 60 onwards, we as a company say, we are now only focusing on the Lego brick and the Lego system in play. That is exactly why this happens. We know after coming up with this new clutch power, this is the future for us. Thanks for listening to Bits and Bricks. You can find me, Ethan Vincent, on Twitter at ethjam, 
And if you have any LEGO Group mysteries, cultural insights, or questions you'd like answered, you can email us at bitsandbricks at lego.com. That's bits, then the letter N, then bricks at lego.com. This episode was written by Brian Crescenti. Bits and Bricks is produced by Brian Crescenti, Dave Tack, and myself, Ethan Vincent. Alex Ayling is editorial and content director at the LEGO Group. Kirsty McNamara is lead producer and also oversees content and editorial at the LEGO Group. Carol Yanyang is our production manager. Manuel Lindinger and Andreas Holtzinger do our artwork. Music is by Peter Primer and Founder Music. And Dan Carlisle does our mixing and sound engineering. If you haven't yet, please subscribe. Even better, tell your friends if you're a fan of the show and send them this episode. We will definitely be back very soon.